Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crunch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell, and this week I am joined by my right-hand man, Hal Bent of FullPressCoverage.com. Well, Hal, Wild Card Weekend delivered in epic fashion with two overtime finishes and two other last-second finishes, and we should only hope the divisional round, which is arguably the most exciting football weekend on the calendar, delivers just as much, if not more, shouldn't we? We definitely should, David. It was a fantastic wild card weekend. We could not thank the football gods for four better games than we got. and uh, But we're still going to and look forward to this coming weekend. As you said, as usual, the best weekend of football all year. Oh, and not only that... Uh... We have the national championship on Monday featuring uh, arguably the uh, first overall pick of the 2020 NFL draft, Joe Burrow at his LSU Tigers versus the guy who just might be the first overall pick of the 2021 NFL draft Trevor Lawrence and the Clemson Tigers, man. It is a football weekend galore. That is for sure. You're going to be busy watching NFL games and a lot of pro prospects in that national championship game. No doubt about it. Totally, and I definitely cannot wait for that game on Monday as well, given the fact that I'm already uh, starting to get knee-deep into this uh, 2020 NFL draft. But first, let's talk about Wildcard Weekend. What was your main takeaway from Wildcard Weekend, Hal? Well, I think we saw, you know, the um, a little bit of redemption, a little bit of ascendance, um, you know, a little bit of the old guard, a little bit of the new guard, you know, um, I mean, just the Texans and Deshaun Watson, what a command performance coming back in that game to win that, uh, to overcome that deficit in Buff- against Buffalo. Um, and, of course, Kirk Cousins. I don't think there's a bigger redemption story. This wonderful season he's had after that rough first season in Minnesota last year, um, that overtime win, what a wonderful thing to see for Kirk Cousins. And, the, you know, the new guard, the Tennessee Titans knocking off the New England Patriots and the old guard, Russell Wilson, still finding a way to get it done in the playoffs. Just unbelievable one man show out in Seattle. Oh, that's a very good takeaway, Hal. But here's my takeaway. As much as I want to talk about Drew Brees and Tom Brady right now, uh, I want to talk about Kirk Cousins. This is a guy who has been a top 10 quarterback in football for several years now. He just hasn't gotten his uh, well-deserved credit. Uh, Keep in mind, this is a guy that made the Washington Redskins, who up till now have been at least one of the two worst-run franchises in all of pro sports, not in the NFL, all of pro sports period, and made them constantly sniff relevance during his time as the starter there. And... uh, he was one of the arguably one of the five best quarterbacks in football this year. But a lot of people are saying, oh, he doesn't shine the brightest when the lights are brightest. How wrong you are. He shut all those doubters up forever with an amazing in-the-bucket overtime dive to Adam Thielen, which set up the game-winning touchdown. So the Kirk Cousins hate has to stop now. This guy, in my opinion, is the baseline of what a franchise quarterback is in the NFL. And for all of you that doubt Kirk Cousins and still think he can't do it this week against the 49ers, doubt him at your own peril. He looks like a man on a mission right now. Great, great point, David. Um, You know, no doubt about it. As, as much criticism as he got 
You know, his numbers have been excellent in Minnesota. And as you said, he was not surrounded with great talent and great coaching in Washington. And you can see what happened to that franchise once he left and was no longer quarterback there. So excellent point on Kirk Cousins. And like I said, you know, nothing better than shoving it back in the face of all those doubters. And I'm with you as well. I am loath to discount him going into the divisional playoff round. Yeah, I'm sure the 49ers would agree with you. And uh, now let's play our favorite game. It's called Truth or Exaggeration. And you obviously know how this one works. And four of the last six playoff games have ended in overtime. But two of them have seen two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. One, a future Hall of Famer in Drew Brees. And another, a potential future Hall of Famer in Patrick Holmes. Not get a chance at the ball because the team that possessed the ball first scored a touchdown. So, truth or exaggeration, the NFL should modify its overtime rules, allowing each team to possess the ball in overtime regardless of what happens on the first possession. Truth or exaggeration? Exaggeration. I think, you know, football, if you're going to win in the playoffs especially, you've got to be able to play in all three facets of the game. You give up a – you kick off and they return it for a touchdown, game over. Your special teams can't be giving up touchdowns. Your defense can't be giving up touchdowns. I think the NFL made the right move when they stopped ending overtime games with field goals on the first drive, and that allowed the uh, set the opposing team, uh, the team starting on defense, to – at least possess the football in that chance with a chance to win. But, yeah, you give up a touchdown on defense or special teams, sorry, game over. I think exaggeration there. I actually agree with you there. And another uh, thing that we have to take into account is player safety because you cannot uh, extend the game uh, indefinitely even more than you have right now. The, The rules in place are fair because if your defense can't make a stop, uh, and uh, keep the ball out of the end zone, then why should you deserve to, deserve to tie it? Because a touchdown is the highest score in football, and and, and on the highest possible score, the game must end in overtime. Because uh, and the NFL cannot continue to brag about player safety and change the overtime rules again at the same time. I, I totally agree with you there. And But this is a rule change that I think the NFL should honestly uh, consider making. Uh Unless uh, the Cleveland Browns hire Robert Sala as their new head coach, there are only going to be four minority head coaches in 2020. Brian Flores of the Dolphins, Mike Tomlin of the uh, Steelers, Anthony Lynn of the Chargers, and Ron Rivera of the Redskins. Keep in mind, Ron Rivera is a Latino and Puerto Rican, so that makes him count as a uh, minority. So... Truth or exaggeration, the NFL must adjust the Rooney rule by, as our good friend and NFL insider Benjamin Albright suggested, putting in a requirement that teams must interview at least one minority head coaching candidate from outside of the organization that has never previously been an NFL head coach. Truth or exaggeration? You know, I I think the league definitely needs to do something. I'm going to go to truth on this one. The Rooney rule, as it's set up now, um, I mean, it, I mean, just look at Dallas. There was no doubt who they were going to hire as head coach. It was ridiculous um, to, to think that Jerry Jones was considering anybody once he got his eyes locked in on Mike McCarthy. There are too many high-quality minorities 
who are not getting the chance. And I think part of the problem as well is that you're seeing that it's just, you know, they're going for the interviews and then they're being feeling like just a token interview as well. So the league's got work to do. I don't know if that's the right step, but it's better than doing nothing and leaving the sham as it is now. So definitely I will have to go with truth on this one. Oh, especially considering the fact that a lot of teams uh, try to make a mockery of the Rudy Roll by interviewing a minority guy on their own staff that they're not going to hire anyways. That That's bogus. That has to stop right now. Agreed. Yes, and let's pivot to uh, the weekend of the playoffs. This coming weekend, that is, especially the Vikings 49ers game. And truth or exaggeration, the winner of Saturday's game between the 49ers and Vikings at Levi Stadium will be the eventual NFC champion. Truth or exaggeration? Uh, you know, I, I, boy, you know, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, I, I've got to say exaggeration. I, I couldn't count either of those two out. Um, you you got to give them an equal shot. So I'm going exaggeration there. Yeah, that is fair. It's just a feeling I have that either one of these two teams is uh, destined to be in the Super Bowl. But then again, you can't count out Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers. And now we go to the 2020 NFL Draft, where this week's big news is that Alabama quarterback Tua Tagovailoa will enter the 2020 NFL Draft. And if his medicals continue to come back as clean as they are right now, he should be a top five pick. But with two or three quarterback needy teams picking in the top 10 that are not the Cincinnati Bagels, look for a lot of trade-ups or attempts to trade-up to occur. And one of those hotspots might be the Redskins, who currently own the second overall pick. But they're in prime position to land Chase Young, who is a generational prospect at the game's second most important position, pass rusher. Chase Young could... Uh, Ten years from now, we could talk about him in the same vein as Von Miller and Khalil Mack. Chase Young is that good, people. So, truth or exaggeration, the Redskins must not trade the second overall pick unless they get an RG3-style Kings ransom in return, meaning first-round picks in 2020, 2021, and 2022. Whew, that is a tough one right there, David. Um, you know, I, I think anybody that's a Redskins fan from the 80s remembers the, just the havoc that that Lawrence Taylor wreaked across the NFC East back in those days. And to get a player like that, it seems almost impossible to pass up. But at that same time as well, they saw what when they gave up all those picks for RG3, as you referenced, what the Rams turned around and built a Super Bowl team out of uh, out of those picks as that that basis, they've got to be looking at that and saying, yes, there's an we can't stand firm and not look for a team trading up. So, boy, I, I I'm gonna have to go with the truth. You know, if you give them a king's ransom for the pick, they'd be crazy not to take it. But if they can't get you know, something that completely blows them away. I agree. They need to stay and take Jay, uh, Chase Young. Agree as well. Consider all options, but set the price very high and do not budge one inch, Daniel Snyder. Don't overthink this. And when you look at the spreads of three of this weekend's games, the 49ers are seven-point favorites. 
The Ravens, 10-point favorites. The Chiefs, 10-point favorites. So, true to exaggeration, people should bet on the Titans, Texans, and Vikings to cover the spread this weekend. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, I'm going to go with the truth on, on that. I don't think any of these games have blowout written on them. Um, none of these six seeds should be dismissed as far as I'm concerned just because they're going up against the one seed. These teams um, are legitimate. I think there's definitely, um, you know, Houston is Houston can hold their own in Kansas City. Minnesota and Tennessee, they're not your average six seeds here. Uh, these teams can are both strong on both sides of the football right now and playing very well. I, I'm looking at this slate of games, and I'm going to say uh, definitely a truth. You know, bet the underdogs there because all of these games look like close games to me. I completely agree. I wouldn't expect anything less, especially uh, with the talent those teams have. And uh, talent and coaching. Oh, talent and coaching. Absolutely. Mike Vrabel, uh, he uh, is uh, turning out to be everything the doctor ordered in Tennessee. And obviously Mike Zimmer is a grizzled vet that's been there and done that many times, whether as a head coach or coordinator. And uh, you also have uh, uh, Deshaun Watson, who you cannot count out at all. Uh, Bill O'Brien is the only visiting head coach that I'm leery of, but Deshaun Watson, he just sides the brightest when the stakes are the highest, as he showed last week. And that is why uh, picking the Chiefs to cover the spread at Arrowhead on Sunday is absolutely ludicrous. And uh, speaking of coaching, let's talk about the developments in the coaching carousel. Four of the five vacancies have now been filled that we start in Dallas, where, as you just mentioned, the Cowboys hired Mike McCarthy to be their new head coach. And uh, everybody was thinking, oh, Jerry's going to dip into the college pool and try for Lincoln Riley, maybe try to coax Urban Meyer on retirement. No, he went with a guy with previous NFL head coaching experience in Mike McCarthy. And Michael Lombardi, former NFL GM scout and uh, front office assistant, who now writes for The Athletic, he said that while Mike McCarthy is the perfect fit for the Cowboys, given the fact that he's not a guy that's going to upstage Jerry Jones, he is, quote, skeptical on whether or not McCarthy will bring the team uh, success long-term. Do you share that view? Yeah, I mean, I kind of look at Mike McCarthy, and there was a lot of criticism about, you know, the offensive system that, you know, kind of shackled um, Aaron Rodgers, wasn't creative enough, didn't change with the times, uh, had Aaron Jones there. We've seen what he's done since McCarthy's gone. We've seen how well, um, you know, that, that offense, especially in the, for Green Bay, has improved with McCarthy gone. I mean, you look at somebody who says, you know, I, they don't know what to do in the running game with Aaron Jones, and you're going to hand them Zeke Elliott. And it, ew, I, I just don't see that. Um, I, I have to say I kind of agree with Lombardi there. I think McCarthy has is never going to upstage Jerry, but at the same time, you know, you're not getting anything new and exciting there. Um, you're just treading water in Dallas, and I don't see any big improvement uh, over the clapper by bringing in McCarthy. Uh, I'm initially skeptical as well, but that said, he's made some good hires. It was smart of him to retain Kellen Moore, 
as uh, offensive coordinator and also bringing in John Fossil to coach special teams. Uh, he should be a major upgrade over their previous uh, special teams coach. Cowboys special teams have been an unmitigated disaster in recent years. And getting John Fossil away from the Rams, his contract expired, but they got him away uh, regardless. Uh, that should help. And also the fact that he dove more into analytics in his year off. Hopefully uh, he could prove us all wrong by, uh, by showing us that he did learn a lot. It is year out of the game, but uh, I share your skepticism as well. And now we talk about the Carolina Panthers and the amazing hire they made. Matt Rule was expected to talk to the Giants on Monday, but the Panthers did not let him get that far as David Tepper, uh, their new owner, a forward thinker, gave him an offer he couldn't refuse, a six, seven-year offer. That is worth a base of $60 million that can grow to $70 million with incentives. And David Tepper is from the Steelers tree. He was previously part of the Steelers minority ownership group, and he values continuity. So you can trust that he is going to be very patient with Matt Rule, and he has given him nearly full control of the football operation. And look at Matt Rule's record. Uh, he obviously dramatically turned around Temple and obviously Baylor, as we talked about on the show. And if you heard about his press conference today, this is a guy with charisma that makes his players want to take a bullet for him. This guy is the real deal. And this hire has me more excited than any hire this cycle. So do you think Matt Rule will end up being the best hire this cycle? I, it's hard. It's hard to pick against him right now. I mean, bringing the resume that he has coming into the NFL, you know, we know the NFL is uh, slowly transitioning more to these college-style um, programs, adapting more of that. We saw Arizona how things worked out so well for them, um, and they they brought in a, a head coach who, let's face it, you know, um, Cliff Kingsbury was no Matt Rule in college. And uh, if, if you can get that kind of resume into your building, I think Carolina hit a grand slam there with Rule. And like you said, with uh, Tepper in charge, give him the opportunity to, to put this program in however he wants to. Be patient. Let him pick his players, uh, pick his staff, and get everything ready to go. I think, you know, um, definitely I think this is probably the top hire of the uh, entire coaching group, for sure. Oh, absolutely. And uh, kind of like uh, what the 49ers did with Kyle Shanahan a couple years ago. They hired him. They allowed him to pick his own staff and own GM and gave him full control of the Niners' operation. And now look where the Niners are right now. So by year three, uh, uh, if Matt Rule continues to do in Carolina what he did basically at Temple and Baylor by getting the right players and right staff in place, by year three, the Panthers could be a serious threat. That's a great point, David. And, and you know, that just makes me think back to, to what we were talking about with Dallas earlier, too. And, you know, letting them pick their own staff. And, you know, Kellen Moore was, is a very promising young offensive coordinator, offensive mind, no doubt about that. But we've seen in the past how these forced marriages between coaches and coordinators simply just does not work because you don't have everybody on the same uh, rowing in the same direction there, which is so important for leadership. And I, you know, I, I think back to um, just two years ago when Matt Patricia went to Detroit 
and kept Jim Bob Cooter on us, offensive coordinator, because they had finished so strong. And clearly that pairing just did not work out. And Cooter was out at the end of last season. And really for Detroit, I mean, Matt Patricia basically wasted a whole year on offense and he had to restart over in his second season as head coach with a new offensive coordinator. So I think that's a great point in Rule being able to bring in his own staff. And that may be another strike against Mike McCarthy in Dallas. Oh, that is a very, very good point. And I also tied into what the Browns did. One of the main reasons why they kept Freddie Kitchens on the staff was to keep Baker Mayfield happy. And no, you cannot hire the head coach to be the quarterback's best friend. You have to hire somebody who is going to keep everybody and hold them to account, even the, the top player on the team. From the star quarterback to the 53rd guy, everybody needs to be held to the exact same standard and to be held equally accountable. And I think uh, retaining Kellen Moore to please Dak Prescott uh, might be uh, more close to the mistake the Browns made of keeping Freddie Kitchens on board than it is uh, to what the Panthers are doing. I totally agree there. Excellent, excellent point. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, talk about guys who love the 53rd man on the roster. Look at the Giants now with special teams coach Joe Judge coming in as head coach. Ooh, I wanted to talk to you about Joe Judge. The Everybody was saying uh, when Matt Rule uh, uh, said that he was going to take the Panthers job and the Giants decided not to match the contract the Panthers gave him because they didn't want to give him full control over the football operation as well. Everybody thought that they were going to hire Jason Garrett in his place, but... They surprised us all by hiring Joe Judge, who has been the Patriots special teams coach for these past uh, three, four seasons. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And he was also their wide receivers coach this past year. But uh, don't hold it against him because they just didn't have the horses uh, in that receiving core uh, for most of this uh, season. And Joe Judge also worked under Nick Saban in Tuscaloosa for, for a couple years and won one national championship with him down there and two Super Bowls with Bill Belichick. And I and as much skepticism as I have about this hire, I kind of have some optimism as well because we know about the last special teams coach that got promoted to head coach. His name is John Harbaugh, and he's currently the head man in Baltimore, and he's won one Super Bowl and appears to be in great position to win yet another. So uh, what do you think of the Joe Judge hire? You know, I, I think it's a, it's a it's a New York Giants kind of move, I think. You know, you want somebody that's a man of the people, that's going to relate to you to that team one through 53. I think he's a great person to put in charge. Too many teams make the mistake of bringing in a great coordinator who may or may not be a great coach. And I think Joe Judge has that ability. He's worked with players who are on both sides of the ball. And depending on what that staff ends up being there around him is going to be a big part of it. But for the head coach, there's so many different roles that they have to take on. There's so much they have to know about what's going on on special teams, on the offense, on the defense as well. If, if you're a specialist, you may be selling yourself short. And I know Bill Belichick was no doubt talking uh, to the Maris, uh, talking up Joe Judge. He's a huge fan of him. He's a huge fan of John Harbaugh and other special teams coach. Remember, Bill Belichick, before he was the Giants defensive coordinator, came up as a special teams coach as well. And he has spoken so many times about the lack of opportunity these coaches get. And I think that was a big part of him moving Judge to the offense as well. 
was in order to help him grow and get that attention and build those skills that would make him a, a great head coach in the NFL. So I think very, very interesting choice there. And as you said, John Harbaugh as well. If I'm an NFL team, I'm looking at Belichick Harbaugh. Those might be two of the best head coaches in the NFL right now. Uh, why wouldn't you follow that blueprint? Very, very good point. And I'm also 100% sure that the mayor has also talked to Nick Saban about him over the weekend as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're talking about Nick Saban, Bill Belichick. That's some pretty good references to have right now on your resume. I, I wouldn't mind going into an interview with those two uh, on my uh, list of references, that's for sure. Yes, but one of the things that's going to continue to make me a little bit skeptical here is the success of uh, previous Belichick uh, protégés uh, who have gotten head coach opportunities. Most of them have not panned out well, but you see something changing a little bit. With the success, Brian Flores was able to coax out of the Dolphins this year, and uh, Joe Judge, uh, coming from that special teams background, uh uh, he could have another opportunity to continue uh, in the direction Brian Flores is taking this legacy of the Belichick tree. Exactly, and, and and the other thing with Judge as well, and I, you know, is you also like you mentioned the the Nick Saban, you know, having worked. Yes, he's been in New England for um, you know the past five or six years, but he has a lot of experience under a lot of different coaches as well, and he can bring all those different you know lessons that he's learned he's not just somebody that you know walked on under Bill Belichick and has never worked for another head coach and I think that's that's a big part of the success of these um the players from the tree I think early on we learned very easily these coaches trying to imitate Bill Belichick there's only one Bill Belichick you've got to be your own person and be your own coach and as the coaches and the Belichick tree have gotten away from that I think the success grows absolutely and uh, Nick Saban is a classic example one of the main reasons why he's made Alabama to what they have been in college football over the past decade or so is because he has been Nick Saban he has not tried to be Bill Belichick 2.0 exactly be your own person take what works from all the different coaches and I think that's where you see that growth and, and where these players, you know, um, just for an example, I mean, just look at Tennessee, uh, you know, Vrabel, absolutely. That Vrabel was in the Patriots system, but you forget he was also in Pittsburgh for a long period of time before he came to the Patriots and he was with Ohio state as well. And, and he's able to take these different aspects of these organizations and take the best away from all of these. And that's, and, infuse that with the the Vrabel toughness that just comes out. I mean, talk about a team that mirrors their head coach. You can see that the players just feed off of his energy, and it's all of that that combines to make that uh, make him into such a great head coach, not just having been with Bill Belichick. And moving on to the final Coaching vacancy left open, the Cleveland Browns. And as Adam Schefter reported yesterday, the Browns want to make a decision by this weekend. And let's, for the moment, assume that Josh McDaniels ultimately decides not to go there, as Ben Volan of the Boston Globe predicted, because he doesn't think uh, he's going to like uh, 
uh, Jimmy Haslub and how impulsive and meddlesome he is, that he's not going to want to work for an owner like that. So he's assuming uh, Josh McDaniels actually uh, does not take that job and stays in New England for one more year. But let's assume uh, McDaniels stays in New England. But if the Vikings lose, should the Browns immediately pounce on Kevin Stefanski, who is apparently their second choice behind Josh McDaniels? But if, let's say, the Niners lose and the Vikings win, should they pounce on Robert Sala, who they were very impressed by, as our good friend Connor Rogers reported yesterday? Yeah, I mean, this this gets to, you know, once you get into the playoffs and the, the season ends, obviously te- you can't force NFL teams uh, to start planning for next season after the playoffs. But the disadvantage that these assistant coaches have the longer their teams are in the playoffs and the further that they go, you know, teams just can't afford to wait anymore. You know, two weeks in the offseason is huge for the Browns as far as planning for the draft, planning for free agency, everything that they've got to get together, getting the staff hired, you know, all these changes that have to take place. And sadly, we're seeing that, you know, for an, for an assistant coach who's, who's being considered for a head coaching position, the sooner that they lose in the playoffs really does give them an advantage there. So I, I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, Salah and Stefanski, whoever's out on uh, after this weekend, probably has the best chance of becoming the head coach in Cleveland. I completely agree. So the uh, winner of the Vikings uh, 49ers game, or I should say the loser rather, could very well determine who the next head man in Cleveland is based on the intel that's out there right now. And now let's go to the quarterback carousel. And the quarterback carousel this offseason is going to be spinning even more wild than it was a couple years ago when Kirk Cousins hit the market because you not only have uh, Tom Brady set to hit the market, Drew Brees is set to hit the market as well, so we want to dedicate this portion of our program to talking about the future of Tom Brady and, and Drew Brees. But let's go back to Josh McDaniels for a moment, because I think an underrated factor and what will uh, likely be a determining factor in whether or not Tom Brady stays in New England is if Josh McDaniels stays. So let's say Josh McDaniels does not take the Browns job and decides to stay in New England one year. How much does that increase the likelihood that Tom Brady stays? I think, well, I mean, I'm pretty much, a, you know, we're talking about Tom Brady, a 99% chance of returning to New England, and it goes up to 99.6% chance of returning to New England with Josh McDaniels. I mean, I don't I don't think there's going to be a lot of teams falling over themselves for a 43-year-old quarterback um, in free agency. I can't imagine either ownership group in New England or New Orleans letting Drew Brees or Tom Brady, what they've meant to these franchises, walk away from them. I, I just don't see it happening. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think Brady's staying in New England no matter what. But obviously having McDaniels back is, a, is a, definitely going to make him a little more confident with his decision to stay. So, yeah, it's, it's going to have some influence, but I don't think it's, you know, moving the needle as drastically as some people might think. Another great point was brought up this morning on Sirius XM NFL Radio in the morning hour with uh, 
Bob Papa, the current voice of the New York Giants, and uh, Charlie Weiss, who was uh, Tom Brady's offensive coordinator in New England for the first couple years of uh, his career. Uh, Charlie Weiss said on Sirius XM NFL Radio this morning is that uh, yeah, Joe Montana left the Niners, but he was traded, and they had Steve Young waiting in the wings. Brett Favre yes. was let out of his contract, but the Packers had Aaron Rodgers waiting in the wings. The Colts let Peyton Manning go, but that's because they had the first overall pick of the 2012 NFL Draft, which they used on Andrew Luck. The Patriots don't have that luxury right now, and unless they really believe in Jared Stidham, it, it, it might be hard to see them letting Tom Brady go. Yeah, and I, I think that's a big fact. I think that's a great point by Charlie Weiss as well. Um, you know, having watched Jarrett Stidham this summer and in the preseason games, uh, he's no Aaron Rodgers. He, you know, he's no Steve Young. He's no Andrew Luck. Um, you know, I'm not sure if he's more than Kevin O'Connell was as a backup here in New England. So um, I think that's a big part of it as well is you're, you're – the next quarterback isn't just falling out of a tree and landing in Bill Belichick's lap right now. There's not a, a lot of options for the Patriots. There's not a lot of great options for Brady as well as far as where he's going to go. I I just think it's, you know, it's a great way to get page clicks right now, talking about Tom Brady's destination spots. But I think more, you know, I don't know how much higher than 99% it's going to be, but I just don't see Robert Kraft letting his, um, basically his son with the relationship that those two have uh, built up over the years, leave New England uh, and go play quarterback for another team while he still wants to play. And as Brady has made clear, he still wants to play at least next season, if not one more to meet his goal of playing at 45. Yep, he said so this morning on Instagram that he intends to play in 2020. But let's just go to the hypothetical here. Let's say Tom Brady is not a Patriot in 2020. Where does he play? I mean, that's a... You could look at Los Angeles and say if the Chargers are going to move on at the quarterback position? Do you pick up Tom Brady and, and load up for a two-year run and try to build some excitement while you're trying to sell uh, stadium seats? That's certainly an option there. There's a team that would have that desperation for a quarterback that age. Um, beyond that, I mean, ooh, I, I don't really know. I mean, I, I can't see the you know a, a team like the Bears blowing everything up for one or two years of Tom Brady, it just doesn't make sense at this point. I mean, you're not like you're going to get him in and uh, have him, you know, learning a new offense or anything. It's going to be a situation where, uh, like when Peyton Manning went to uh, your Denver Broncos yeah. there, he's bringing his, I mean, he's basically bringing the offense wherever he goes. This You're signing it. You want him. You're taking everything that comes with him. Oh, totally. Uh, just like uh, Peyton Manning was his own offensive coordinator, you can say for the most part Brady is his own offensive coordinator uh, in many ways. And the Chargers have been the team that have come up in conversations I've had with many people. So if Brady, if the Patriots for some reason do not want to bring back Tom Brady, watch for the Chargers to make a move because all sides point to them parting ways with Philip Rivers and Philip Rivers uh, maybe going to the Colts, if not retiring. 
uh, in uh, March. And now let's talk about the Saints for a minute. You think they should still re-sign Breeze? I think that kind of makes the most sense uh, because um, uh, Breeze, he might be in his 40s, but he's still only 40. And Tom Brady has, has played very good football at age 40 and 41. I think he has one more star-struck season left in him. So... Uh, you uh, you have to keep Drew Brees, but the problem is you only have $15 million in estimated 2020 cap space, and Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill are coming out of contract as well, so this kind of compounds uh, their decisions for the long term. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really does, but again, I mean, just looking at, you know, there are certain, you know, when you start talking about Hall of Fame players that transcend on and off the field, you know, is 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 Hill going to be the answer? Is Teddy Bridgewater really the the player to, that's going to replace a legend and keep that team as a you know as you know a, a playoff Super Bowl contender year after year? I I just don't really see that right now. Um, you know, and, and then just you know just the relationship of Drew Brees and the city of New Orleans. I just can't see them moving on while he's still a viable NFL starter. And I don't think we've seen any signs that, like you said, he's a young 40, I think. If you, <laughs> if you, want, you know, if you want to put it that way, you know, he's not, uh, I, he's, he's got a little more uh, uh, vigor than I had at 40 years old. Let's put it that way. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, 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 I think it's, uh, you, you're going to see, you know, the Saints, it, it's a no-brainer to, to keep Drew Brees around. You've got the team. You've got an improving defense. You've got offensive stars to in Kamara and Michael Thomas around him already, a solid offensive line. I, I think he's the guy you're going to hit your wagon to for at least two more years. Yes, and plus Taysom Hill, he's more of an offensive weapon. He's not a future franchise quarterback like some joked. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's he's a very interesting player. Um, he's definitely um, offense, special teams, multi-purpose. You know that Swiss Army knife role, um, but certainly not somebody you want down uh, two touchdowns in the fourth quarter out there flinging the ball. You want Drew Brees in that situation. You most certainly do. And before we move on to analyze and predict these uh, divisional round games. Uh, I want to say to all the English teachers listening out there that I said it compounds their decision. That was a poor use of English. I bet it complicates their decision long-term to have both Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill uh, coming out of contract. But by the end of the day, neither of those two guys have future franchise quarterback written on their foreheads. So I, based on the talent you have on your roster and the three consecutive heart and a blender losses you've suffered to the playoffs, go in for at least one more season with Drew Brees as the guy. All right, folks, it's now time to analyze and predict these four NFL divisional round playoff games. We start with the Saturday afternoon showdown in Santa Clara between the Vikings and 49ers. And when I look at this game, I look at a likely low-scoring defensive struggle. What do you think, Hal? Yeah, I'm looking at the the same thing as well. I don't see this as a high-scoring game. Um, San Francisco at home, um, you know, whatever regression. I mean, certainly defenses, you're not going to be the 85 Bears and, and uh, shut everybody down from start to finish in today's NFL. 
there's going to be some blips on the radar and injuries and stuff. But but the 49ers well rested on defense here. Um, time to game plan and Minnesota the way that that defense has been playing as well as we saw especially uh, last week as well the the performance that that defense put on. I'm looking at yeah this is going to be a close low scoring slugfest here and um, it may just be something as simple as which team wins the turnover battle that's going to decide this game. It most certainly could and in this game you might be looking at arguably the two best pass rushers in the NFL right now. As uh, my good friend Nick Kendall said, uh, who has been on this podcast many times, he said that if he had to pick two pass rushers in this league to build a team around, they would be Nick Bosa and Daniil Hunter. Keep in mind, folks, Daniil Hunter is only 25 years old, and he's arguably a top-five pass rusher in the NFL already. He and Nick Bosa are easily, easily have the best football left ahead of them out of all the talented pass rushers in the game right now, and you're going to see them uh, wreak havoc on Saturday. Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, talk about players who just, for what you know, don't have all those primetime games and playoff games to show up. Um, you know, Daniil Hunter, only 20, 25 years old. It's just mind boggling to think of with the production and ability that he has. And, and just what a great season he put together this year, um, playing a big role, carrying that uh, defense as Everson Griffin started to show his age a little bit at points this season. And he's really become the leader on that defensive front for Minnesota. And added Nick Bosa's offensive rookie of the year campaign, off, defensive rookie of the year campaign. <laughs> pardon me. Uh, it's going to be a pass rush freak show in Santa Clara on Saturday. But let's talk about the Forty ers defense for for a moment here. They got Quan Alexander back this week. Quan Alexander suffered a torn pectoral injury uh, in their October game against Arizona on Halloween night, and uh, and just like JJ Watt, they get him back for the playoffs. So. Uh, yes, Fred Warder, Pro Bowl snub and All-Pro snub, dare I say. He has been a sensation this year, but him and Quan Alexander back for this game, it might be coming at the most appropriate time, especially when they have to go face-to-face with Dalvin Cook and that Vikings rushing attack. Exactly, and and not only that, add in, you know, Quan Alexander and his ability, um, you know, that he part of the allure for him is his coverage ability as well as a linebacker and going up against... Minnesota with the the way that they use those tight ends there uh Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith you know the the old guard and the young guard there San Francisco is going to need all the help they can get and this is just perfect timing for that 49ers defense to get Alexander back to help out against uh this Vikings tight end centric passing attack absolutely and let's talk about this Vikings defense for another minute as well uh, last weekend, one of the key components of their incredible game plan was to stunt Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin inside on a significant percentage of their snaps. Because keep in mind, the strength of the Saints offensive line are their two tackles, Tron Armstead and Ryan Ramchek. But when you stunted them inside against the interior of the Saints offensive line, those are above-average players, but they're not world beaters. And put them and ask them to handle freakish edge tails like that, Forget it. And now you have a 49ers offensive line whose interior has been decimated by injuries and they are missing 
Weston Richburg, their starting center, dearly so. Ben Garland and Daniel Brunskill, two guys I really, really admire. I hope you're getting ready to play the game of your life because you're going to be seeing a lot of uh, Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin, and that is a potential mismatch the 49ers have to be absolutely concerned about. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the 49ers, you know, I mean, they're just strong across the board on that offense. You look at, you know, the weapons, George Kittle, the, the the emergence of Debo Samuel, Emmanuel Sanders more comfortable in that offense, uh, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo playing well, uh, the running backs, Breida, Mostert, Coleman, you know, the, the, everything that they can do. But again, if there's one weakness, it's that interior offensive line. As you pointed out, they're so strong outside with those tackles for Minnesota, you know, the, the havoc that they brought last week, you know, why not dial that up and, and force the 49ers to be on their heels um, and try to put your strength against their biggest weakness. Who do you have coming out with the victory at Santa Clara Saturday, Hal? You know, I, I don't want to discount Kirk Cousins, and, you know, I'd love to see a little more magic from him and, and see Minnesota in the NFC Championship game, but but San Francisco has been so strong start to finish this season. So many weapons on offense. Such a fantastic defense. It's just almost impossible to pick against the 49ers. Um, I'm going to say Minnesota is going to give them a heck of a fight, and it's going to be a close game. But I have San Francisco edging out Minnesota 20-17. to 17. I honestly hope you're right, Hal. Uh, I'm rooting for the 49ers to win this game because those guys I just mentioned, uh, Ben Garland and Daniel Brunskill, I know some people who know those guys. They are very, very nice guys from what I've heard. Uh, we have mutual friends, and uh, plus Emmanuel Sanders, uh, me rooting for him as when he was with the Broncos all these years, I'm rooting for him too. Uh, I, I'm rooting for the Niners to go, go all the way and win the whole thing. But that said... I just think that the mismatch the Vikings have by studying Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter inside um, against them uh, worries me a lot. And another thing that potentially worries me is the absence of DJ Jones. The 49ers run defense has suffered a lot since DJ Jones suffered that season-ending uh, knee injury. They signed a Earl Mitchell off the street to try to be a band-aid there, but going against Dalvin Cook with that middle-of-the-run defense banged up, that concerns me tremendously, and I think that is just enough to help the Vikings eke out a 17-16 victory on Saturday. I hope I'm wrong about this pick. I want the Niners to win, but I just think the Vikings have two uh, potential mismatches that could give them the win that if they take advantage of that. The Baltimore Ravens, uh, who have been the hottest team in the NFL for the past three months, they haven't lost since September, for crying out loud. They host the Tennessee Titans, who just... Uh, kicked Tom Brady and Bill Belichick out of the playoffs last week. And I expect the Titans to give the Ravens all they can handle. And a potential advantage for the Titans here is that the Ravens, they haven't faced that much adversity this season. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Like you talked about that, after a you know couple losses early on in the season, uh, they have had nothing but smooth sailing, whereas Tennessee has... Uh, really had to pick up their game here in the second half of the season and, and claw their way back into the uh, into the playoffs with Ryan Tannehill. And, you know, is there anything more dangerous than a team with lining up Derrick Henry in the backfield and 
pounding him into your defensive line. As we saw last week, you can know they're running the football, but it doesn't mean that you're actually going to be able to stop them. Most definitely, and uh, part of the challenge of beating Lamar Jackson is to keep him off the field for long stretches, and what better weapon is there to help you do that than Derrick Henry? Exactly. I mean, I, I think that's the, you know, what you have to do to beat Baltimore is you have to keep the ball out of their hands. You have to get a lead and, and make them play from behind because, as you said, they haven't had that adversity. They haven't had a lot of opportunities to play from behind. And so putting them back on their heels, um, you know, we've seen in the divisional round of the playoffs, you know, a team can come out a little bit rusty and fall behind early. And even though they're a, a one or a two seed at home, sometimes that changes the whole tenure of the game. And that's how you get these upsets in the divisional round. You most certainly do. And another potential advantage the Titans have, keep in mind, Dean Pease, their current defensive coordinator, was the Ravens defensive coordinator in Super Bowl forty-seven when they faced off against that 49ers offensive Kyle Kaepernick, coordinated by current Ravens offensive coordinator Greg Roman. So Dean Pease kind of knows what to do against this offense better than most defensive coordinators do, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you can go in and, you know, uh, blow the dust off of that game plan, it makes life a little bit easier for you uh, game planning here. Uh, so that that's a huge advantage as well. Uh, it most certainly is. And uh, another key matchup that I uh, have my eyes on in this game is A.J. Brown likely going up against Marcus Peters. Marcus Peters has been absolutely sensational since the Ravens acquired him. He made all pro for a reason, but... Now he has A.J. Brown, a young, dynamic, savvy route running receiver. A.J. Brown is no rookie. He is my offensive rookie of the year right now, uh, in my opinion. And uh, if the Titans can turn him loose and Derrick Henry keeps doing Derrick Henry things, look out. We could be headed for an upset. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Baltimore has a very strong defense, a very strong secondary as well. But, um, you know... The, the Titans had the advantage against New England in that they were able to stay committed to that ground game and not put themselves in a position of falling behind and having to throw the football repeatedly, which obviously we know was not their game plan going into that game, and it worked to perfection. They need to have that same game plan as well, but they do have to draw in some of those quick strikes if they're going to put enough points on the board to outscore Baltimore as well. And like you said, A.J. Brown, any wide receiver averaging 20 yards, a reception, um, you know, is a dangerous weapon, and they've got to find a way to get the ball in his hands for some big plays. Yep, but they're going to need several more big plays from him this week when they uh, didn't have any from him uh, last week. And who do you have coming out victorious Saturday night in Charm City, Hal? You know, everything tells me that it should be Baltimore. Just for the same reasons, you know, um, you know, geez, it seems like they haven't lost in a million years. Um, I really, really, really would love to to pick an upset special here and say Tennessee is going to pull it out. But but boy, this, this Ravens team just so strong on both sides of the ball and especially the defense in the second half of the season. It's been one of the top units in the NFL in the second half of the season. I can't pick against the Ravens. Um, I think Tennessee will give them a heck of a fight. Um, it'll probably be another, um, you know, stick fight kind of low scoring game as well. 
but I'm going to, I just can't pick against the Ravens. I have them winning 16 to 13 over the Titans. I don't have it that low scoring, but I believe the Ravens do hang on and win. I just think uh, they'll be a little too tough uh, for the uh, Tennessee Titans in this round. But I, like I said, pick the t- Titans to cover the spread. I definitely think the Titans cover the spread. Uh, they do their best, but Lamar Jackson and the Ravens keep being super efficient on offense with all the possessions they get. They are able to squeak out 24 points, 27 tops, but let's just say for the sake of how talented these defenses are, let's give the Ravens 24 points and the Titans 20. So 24-20 Baltimore Sunday. A battle between the two most exciting young quarterbacks in the NFL, not named Lamar Jackson. Deshaun Watson and the Texans travel to Arrowhead to take on Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs for the second time this season. And the Texans came out victorious the first time, but this Chiefs team is uh, quite a different team than the one they saw uh, in October. Yeah, I mean, I I think you could almost throw that game out completely. Um, I don't think uh, that game has is going to have much of a bearing on this game. And, you know, um, I mean, Kansas City as well. I mean, talk about a team that for a, a Super Bowl favorite coming into the season, you know, when Patrick Mahomes got hurt and they had that rough stretch in the middle of the season, what were they? They were like six and four or something at one point. Um, you know, they've just turned it around on both sides of the football. Uh, Patrick Mahomes carrying the the offense, which has been bereft of a running game um, for most of the, for the entire second half of the season, um, with Damian Williams hurt, and just the, the the way that defense has played, it's been it's been an amazing turnaround. And then you know you look at the other side of the equation and what Houston did last week and what Deshaun Watson has been doing. I, I don't know how do you pick against either of these guys. <laughs> Yes, it, it, it is very hard to pick against either of these guys. This is might be the toughest game of the week to pick, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're looking at, you know, Deshaun Watson, and, and, you know, you're like, well, you can't count him out. It doesn't matter what the score is. And then on the other side, you look over and you say, well, Mahomes, we know what he can do. You know, how do you pick against him in any situation as well? I mean, this this has probably got the potential to be, you know, talk about fun this is going to be one heck of a fun game for everybody watching it most certainly is and uh this could uh, be easily the most high scoring game of the week and uh, i expect it to be a high scoring game do you you know it, it really should be but again you know i i keep looking at this kansas city defense and, and the way that they've They've turned things around here in the second half of the season and how that secondary has come together, how well Tyran Matthews playing back there um, and and picking up his teammates around him. Um, Boy, you know, seeing Juan Thornhill growing in the role at safety there as well next to him. And and you you look at this this Chiefs defense and you say, you know, you wouldn't have thought it two months ago, but yeah, this defense could be dynamic if they get frank clock going and chris jones going uh you know we we could see a a very low scoring game here this weekend oh you bring up a good point except one thing juan thornhill is out for the season with a toward acl yeah i forgot about that he's out but again uh, how many teams have daniel Sorensen to plug in right there as well 
a, a young veteran who's, you know, been a starter in this league. So, yeah, the, this defense is, is still in great shape for Kansas City, even without Thornhill. Uh, I am skeptical about that, and let's make our gay picks here. I think this is a easily the most high-scoring game of the week. It's going to be close. Uh, it's going to be a lot closer than it was last time when the Texans absolutely dominated uh, that second half of play, especially uh, in the running game. But uh, two reasons why I think the Texans are going to sneak out a win here. Number one, they get Will Fuller back. Will Fuller is the unsung linchpin of that offense. When he is on the field, that offense just hits an entirely new gear. And I think uh, him being able to take the top off of defense is going to free up DeAndre Hopkins to make a lot of big plays. And he might have some big plays of his own uh, on Sunday as well. And the fact that, that Thornhill being out, uh, that gives the Texans a potential advantage, especially the red zone with their big tight end, uh, Darren Fells. I actually like the Texans and Deshaun Watson to beat Mahomes and the Chiefs 33-30. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to say the same thing about Houston. You know, uh, Bradley Roby, his return to action in Houston in that secondary has been huge for that team. He's playing like a number one cornerback. Co- um, based on his time in Denver, I never expected that. I don't know how much the Texans expected that, but he is certainly – um, proving his value this year to that team and, and betting on himself. It looks like he made a big choice there. I'm still going to go with this as a low-scoring game. I don't think either team, um, as, as great as these offenses are, um, at this point of the season, I think their defenses are both playing too well. I'm going to go with Kansas City with the win, but I think it's going to be lower scoring. 20 to 16 Chiefs over the Texans. Ooh, that is something uh, most of America is not expecting in this game, but uh, it's something not to discount given the way the Chiefs defense played down the stretch and the fact that the Texans have J.J. Watt back. And as long as uh, J.J. Watt doesn't uh, re-injure that uh, pectoral muscle, uh, he is a force of nature. His sack turned the tide in that game last Saturday against Buffalo. And whenever J.J. Watt's on the field, uh, you're facing a dangerous defense. Uh, and it concludes, as in Divisional Round Week, it concludes with uh, the Seahawks traveling to Lambeau Field to take out the Packers. And the last time the Seahawks won at Lambeau, 1999. Is this the year it stops? Ooh, 1999. That's unbelievable. Um, yeah. Well, how do you pick against Seattle? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm kind of skeptical about the Seahawks in this game. Yes, you got Russell Wilson, and uh, you can't uh, discount him. One of the three best quarterbacks in the NFL by far. And uh, But the fact that they were only able to yield 17 points against a Eagles defense that had struggled all year long, yes, their defense uh, stepped up big time, but that was against a, a completely depleted Eagles offense. And yes, the Packers offense has been up and down this year, but it's an infinitely tougher challenge, in my opinion, than what they faced last week. And uh, I have a feeling that if the Seahawks uh, struggle against the Packers, which are a superior defense, and uh, their offense uh, gives the Packers offense gives them a hard time, it might be very tough for Seattle to win this game. Yeah, I, I don't think this is an easy game for Seattle. I don't think, you know... They should be expected to win uh, going into Lambeau, facing Green Bay as well. Um, 
but again, this game kind of, you know, you kind of look at both of these teams and you're kind of like, you know, you feel like both of them are both performed above their level. Like, you know, Green Bay, very strong on defense, but the offense really, you know, was like you said, was was up and down. And Seattle, at times they looked like world beaters, and at times it looked like they couldn't stop anybody on defense. Um, you know, you start talking about point differential and some of those metrics as well, and you start looking and you're saying, boy, these are the, these are the kind of, both of these teams are the, are the teams that are kind of like, you know, that's a real weak 13 and three. That's a real weak 11 and five record. You know, you're, you're looking at those metrics saying Seattle's really closer to a 500 team and Green Bay is a 10 win team when you're looking at, at all those metrics in there. So to me, you know, if there's a game that, you know, Seattle is going to steal to get into the NFC championship game, I think this is the team that it would be against. If there is an upset this week, um, I'm leaning towards the Seahawks against Green Bay. That is a very fair prediction. And a key matchup that I think is going to decide this game are uh, Jared Reed and that interior Seahawks defensive line against stud Packers rookie guard Elton Jenkins. Elton Jenkins, according to Pro Football Focus, did not give up a single sack in over 540 snaps. Think about that. This guy was easily the best interior rookie interior offensive lineman this year. And going against uh, Jared Reed, a very underrated player in Seattle, uh, is going to be pivotal because if the Packers get Aaron Jones going, uh, it could be a long day for Seattle because Aaron Jones, like the Titans have Derrick Henry uh, to try to keep Lamar Jackson off the field. Uh, Aaron Jones is a very, very good weapon, if not an excellent weapon, in an effort to keep Russell Wilson and that Seahawks offense off the field. And if the Packers could, could do that, uh, I think they win this game. And I believe in Elton Jenkins getting that push in that interior offensive line um, against that uh, Seahawks front. And I think Aaron Jones has a big day, and I think the Packers eke out a 23-20 victory. And now let's go to our bowl predictions for Divisional Round Weekend. Hal, what is your bowl prediction? You know, um, I'm going to stick with my defensive battle in Kansas City here. Um, let's, I picked the Chiefs to win 20-16. to My bold prediction is, is that Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes, for all the hype over the game, Neither one of them throws for 200 yards through the air or a passing touchdown as uh, all the points come off the ground in field goals with Kansas City eking out that hard-fought 20-16 to win. Ooh, that is bold, my friend. And my bold prediction uh, goes back to the uh, Vikings and uh, the potential opportunities they have against the 49ers this Saturday. And with the 49ers missing big DJ Jones in the middle of that defensive line, uh, my bold prediction is Dalvin Cook gets 200 scrimmage yards, 200 total yards from scrimmage, and two touchdown runs of 20-plus yards, powering the Vikings to that 17-16 to win that I predicted. And now let's conclude with our challenge flags. I go first here. Wildcard weekend, you were one of the best weekends of playoffs we've had in quite some time. Divisional round, be just as exciting, if not more so, than wildcard weekend. Deliver on the hype of these games. Make them entertaining from start to finish. What is your challenge flag, Hal? Uh, my challenge flag, I'm going to go to the mics with the sixth seed there. Uh, Zimmer, Brabel, I, you know, um, fantastic job getting your teams into position where they are right now. 
Don't take your foot off the gas. I think you both have the potential for a huge, huge upset this weekend. Um, get your guys ready to play. Give us some great football. Push those uh, top seeds. Get San Francisco, Baltimore back on their heels early in these games. And let's have a hugely exciting Saturday of football this weekend. He is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. You can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. You can catch his work at FullPressCoverage.com or if you're a Patriots fan, MusketFire.com. Hal, thank you very much as always. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week to preview the conference championships and all the news and notes from around the National Football League. So stay tuned. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with AK. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Hal Bet, this is David Cromwell saying so long and, of course, stay awesome.